It's a problem you may not know you have. It's a struggle struggle that you're not struggling with. (laughs) So why is it there? Why do you have this unseen enemy at war with you on the inside? Pastor, author, radio host, Dr. Mike Fabares says this often undetected problem is insidious, it's pervasive, it's corrosive, and if you knew the damage it was causing you and those around you, you would do everything you could to root it out. What is it and how can you eradicate it from your life? That's what we're going to talk about Today at the Radio Backyard Fence, welcome to the continuing conversation we call Chris Fabry Live online, chrisfabrylive.org. Thanks to our team behind the scenes today, Ron Conahay doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Anthony will be answering your calls. Thank you, friends and partners, for helping us reach our goal this month. Three days left in November, counting today. Can you believe that? And we are almost to our goal this month. Just a few more uh, calls or clicks and we're there. Would you help us out with a gift? I want to read you what Joe said. She lives in Canada, listens on the Moody Radio app. I've been listening to your program for several years. I enjoy it. And the guests who join you each week, thank you for all your encouragement over the years. It feels like family listening to your program. Joe, thank you for that. That is uh, warms, warms my heart. Didn't have Joe over for Thanksgiving dinner, but uh, thank you for what you said. You know what we're uh, sending, Joe? A copy of my new novel came out just a couple of weeks ago, Saving Grayson. I got a call Saturday night. My wife said, it's Gary Chapman. It was like after 10 o'clock Eastern time. And I, I said, Gary, what are you calling me for? He's Chris, I was on this plane flight and I got home and I just finished Saving Grayson. <laughs> he had to call me with his reaction And I loved it because here's somebody who's written about Alzheimer's and dementia. That's part of what the book is about. And it's my heart that if you've gone through this with someone that you love or you're going through it right now, or if you're on the outside looking in at somebody who's walking that really hard trail, I'd love for you to read this novel. Call 866-95-FABRY. Give a gift of any size. We'll send you the novel, Saving Grayson. 866-953-2279, or go to chrisfabrylive.org, scroll down, you'll see how you can be a backfence friend or a partner with us right there, chrisfabrylive.org. His name is not Fabry, it's Fabares. Dr. Mike Fabares, founding pastor of Compass Bible Church, South Orange County, California. He's been pastoring for more than 30 years, graduate of Moody Bible Institute, Talbot School of Theology, Westminster Theological Seminary. He's heard on the program Focal Point on hundreds of stations across the country. And our featured resource today is his book, if you haven't figured it out yet, Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. Dr. Fabares, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay from Southern California, and the sun is out. It's good, and it's warm. Our (laughs) sleeves are short, and uh, I don't mean to provoke any envy from that statement. But uh, yeah, we're doing well here in Southern California, Orange County. We've got a lot of work to do here in our mission field, and uh, we're trying to deal with this topic of envy in people's hearts lately. You know, it it can, in ministry, you think that pastors are immune to this, you'd never compare. That's not true, is it? No, as a matter of fact, I find this is a convicting book to write because, I mean, missionaries, 
Bible school professors, pastors. I mean, just this is this is all over the place. You can't go to a just and again, this is probably too autobiographical, but you can't go to a pastors' <laughs> conference without people sitting there talking about budgets and numbers and you know church plants and how big this is and how much you do that. And and a lot of this really is part of the whole, you know, building ourselves into tribes and comparing ourselves to you. And everyone's just driven by just so much envy. It, it, it's a bad thing and it's everywhere. I don't care what kind of profession you're in. Uh, it's all over the place. When you look at the life of Jesus, then you realize that envy was a big reason why he got into all the trouble that he was in because he was a threat. Right. Yeah, I, and I point that out early in the book that it's Pilate of all people who sees it for what it is and and says, "Hey, I know why he's been delivered over to be crucified." All those religious leaders they don't like the way he's filling the the countryside with people wanting to listen to him teach. They were they were envious. They didn't like it, and you'll see that even throughout the book of Acts as Peter does his thing and Paul does his thing. They did not like the fact that they had bigger crowds and more buzz around what they were doing and their religious thing. And they thought, well, who is this guy? And this is no good. And a lot of the stones that were thrown at the Apostle Paul were really motivated, I mean, you'd say by anger, but it's an anger that is fueled by envy. So why is this so easy for me to see in in the religious leaders of the first century or people today? Why Why is it so easy for me to see it in others, but not see it in myself? Well, that's just such a basic biblical x-ray of of Romans chapter 2. It takes that little diagnostic and says, listen, you guys are great at seeing sin in everyone else, right? But it's hard to see it in ourselves. I mean, you can't drive down the freeway, certainly our crowded uh, Orange County freeways here, and and if someone cuts into your lane and not just think they're the worst person that's ever existed and why did they get a license, and you you think all kinds of terrible things about the person, but when you accidentally kind of, you know, swerve into the wrong lane, you've got a million reasons to exonerate exonerate yourself from bad driving. It's as though everyone else is blamed for every problem they have, and we are so quick to excuse ourselves from every mistake we make. And the Bible says that kind of myopic view of, of just, we cannot see the sin in ourselves. We, we, we've got to recognize that great line from Psalm 139, which really is the basis for this book. Even anyone wanting to buy it would be the verse that hmm. tells us that we should be praying, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's really the reason I wrote this book. I I don't have people coming up to me and saying, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? I'm really struggling with envy. (laughs) No one one says that. I have a lot of people confessing a lot of sins to me, but not that one. And I think, wait a minute, it's all over the Bible. I mean, from from Cain killing Abel to the Mm -hmm. Jewish leaders, you know, delivering Jesus over to be crucified, and no one's even diagnosing this. Well, it's not as though God doesn't want to diagnose it in us. It's just that sometimes we're not really praying sincerely that prayer. God, search my heart, try me, know my thoughts. And maybe there's a listener right now that has prayed that prayer in their time of worship, in their time, in their quiet time. And and maybe this book is part of the answer to that prayer that says, here, look, this is an undetected sin. It's so often just overlooked, but maybe in that prayer, here's the answer. Just just pick up a small 125-page book that makes you say, okay, what about this? Is this a problem for me? And I've had some people 
people already just in the first week or two it's been out, they've written me and said, listen, I never saw this in my life until I read this and I realize it's there and it's causing trouble and I'm so grateful that there's solutions, really carefully worded, easy to understand solutions. If we just work on the right things, we can start to bat back this really corrosive sin. And you use kind of warfare analogy and attack. I want to talk about that. But it's part of the problem is it's pretty much unseen. It goes on, it's an internal job. So it's not like it's gross external sin that, you know, people are doing out here that everybody sees. It's in the thought life. But it sounds like what you're saying is there is a measure of freedom uh, to your life that you may not be experiencing because of this that's going on inside. Is that true? Mm, absolutely. It reminds me of a line I read from a book so many years ago. The problem so often with winning in any area of our lives, particularly in our struggle for sanctification, is knowing that there's a battle going on in a particular area. If we don't know that, that there's something that needs to be dealt with, I mean, just to use the words of, of Colossians 3, 5, right? To put to death in you whatever is earthly. If there's something there that shouldn't be there, if we don't know that there's a battle going on, well, then we're just, you know, we're just, we're about to be overcome by that sin and not even recognize it. We've got to declare war. Uh, there's an old singer, Morgan Cryer, back in the day, had a daughter named uh, Tilly, and she wrote a book. It was the only book I could find that was contemporarily written on envy. And it was a great book, and it was a book that she wrote uh, just even so transparently about the struggle that she had with envy, and it was a really well done, and it was great. It's just I read that book thinking, this is the only book I could find when I started to look for a contemporarily written book. And so much of it was just rightly written from her heart to so many of her peers, but it just was such a book that I found, uh, just it hit the note for a lot of gals, but left out so many men that I think we struggle with this too. And and so I wrote this and I really leaned into this, this war motif because it's a biblical motif, but to say, hey guys, we've got to declare war. It's not just the gal comparing her you know, her body shape to some gal on the patio of the church or whatever, or some, you know, buddy that's got, uh, you know, a, a better family or well-behaved kids. It's all of us. We all struggle. In a business environment, I don't care where you work, I don't care what industry you're in, envy is really doing things that's causing a disgruntled, unsettled internal life. And we claim to be Christians, right? We're supposed to have this, this fruit of the Spirit called peace, right? We're supposed to have the thing that Jesus said, listen, don't be alarmed. In your heart, you ought to be, you ought to be content. Paul, Paul learned the secret of contentment, and, and we so often have not. And if you want to look at a spectrum in your life, you can see that contentment really is at the other end of the spectrum of envy. Envy is just, I cannot be at internal peace. I can't as long as someone else is doing better than me, someone else is making more money than me, uh, someone you know is, is doing something and excelling in an area that I want to excel in, and we cannot go to sleep at night in the peace and contentment that God has for us if we haven't put to death this sin of envy. So I, I wrote this in part with kind of a, a, a little bit of a muscular vocabulary, not that it's for men, it's not, but I, I wanted to kind of bring a balance to the only other book I could find of, of late that deals with this topic and say, guys, let's all 
all think about this and then let's roll up our sleeves until he does the same thing in a book. Wanting to uh, attack it. We need to get it, get rid of it. Yes. But I, I wanted it to be more than about body image and, uh, you know, your, your kids, you know, getting the awards at school. I want it to be about the whole of our lives and for men and women all alike to say, let's think about this and go a little bit deeper into seeing this as the enemy that it is. It's stealing our peace. It's stealing our contentment. It's stealing really our sanctification in so many areas. And it's time for us just to wake up to this and say, okay, what would God have us do? And that's what the book is largely about. It's stealing our ability to rejoice with those who rejoice. You can't oh. enter into somebody's success. As a matter of fact, one of the great things about the book is I found a quote from Groucho Marx in here. <laughs> and any, any book that quotes Groucho, you know, I used to watch the Marx Brothers when I was a kid. But anybody who quotes Groucho, especially on this, is uh, I'm all over it. On Facebook, I asked, where does envy crop up in your life? Here's a number, 877-548-3675. Dr. Mike Fabares has written the book on envy. You can find it at chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. This hits just about every area of your life. It's a nerve down deep. Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had. Dr. Mike Fabares is with us. I mentioned this quote by Groucho Marx. Groucho said, it is very disconcerting for a comic to sit in a dressing room and listen to another comedian kill the audience with laughter. Bravo is a wonderful word when shouted at you, but a most disturbing accolade when bestowed upon a competitor. Having been only in the theatrical profession, I don't know how people in other walks of life react to success and failure, but I'm sure you'll find that a wide, a wide streak of envy is part of almost everyone's makeup. I will probably be stoned for the following, but it's my contention that the laying of a large-sized theatrical egg on Broadway brings, <laughs> brings joy and relief to a substantial section of the entertainment world. Permanent success in show business is unforgivable. And I looked at that and I thought, well, you know, Groucho, the way he, that he said that is funny. But then I wondered, how many times have I rejoiced at somebody else's failure when they had these big dreams and they're going to do this and you, you, you secretly didn't want them to succeed? You wanted them to fail. What is that? Why is that? Uh, Dr. Fabares, what do you? What is there about the inside of us that loves to see other people fail? Well, I also quote an old uh, religious leader from many years ago, William Law, and he says a lot of the envy that we have as adults has really been fueled by the way we were raised. And this is such old literature that I quote from William Law, but I'll tell you. Sometimes we have these feelings because we were taught as kids, and I think it's even worse today than it used to be when we were kids, Chris, but we were taught that you know it was all about this competitiveness and being the best and being on top, and there was so much of this horizontal comparisons that we were making. It wasn't just what grades did you get, how well did you, but what, where were you in your class? Where did you graduate in your class? And some of that 
You know, when we're trying to just help our kids be ambitious, we're really feeding a sinful desire that ends up creating envy that says, if he does better than me, right? And, and I've worked hard. I've done what I can do. I, I've, I've gone the extra mile. I've stayed the extra hour. I've spent the extra dollar and I have not been as far as he has gone or she has gone. Now, instantly there's there's this sense of resentment and this, this bitterness. And then all it takes is for them tripping and falling on their face to say, well, that's, that's, that's a great thing. And, and we right. may not say it out loud as Christians, but, you know, to quote that, that Groucho book, it's just so good. He goes on to say, I, I've sat at many dinner parties in Hollywood. I've noticed ill con- uh, concealed gleams in the eyes of some of my mm. friends as they joyously discuss the review of a new flop motion picture. And I think, okay, that's the problem, right? We guess we struggle to have our peers do better than ourselves. And you said something about rejoicing with those who rejoice. And I just want to remind us, it's so much easier to rejoice with those who rejoice when there's a true, deep, abiding, profound love. Like Chris, I've got kids, you've got kids. When they do better than we do in life, right? We're not envious, right? Only the weirdest dad is going to be envious of that, right? But we are so happy. We want them to do better. We want them to go further. We don't feel that competitiveness with our kids unless something's seriously wrong with ourselves. And we, we do that because we love them. I mean, think, that, think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The first prohibition that's listed in the passage is love does not envy, right? If there's real love there, Right? I really do, out of love, rejoice with those who rejoice, with their successes, with their accomplishments. I'm so happy for them. Right? But when it's my competitor, right? when it's my boss, my manager, someone doing something in my realm or sphere where I feel like he shouldn't do better than me, right? that's really the lack of, of any kind of biblical love. When Jesus loved people, right? I remember that passage where Jesus looks at the rich young ruler, right? Well, Jesus isn't rich, right? And and he may be young, but he's not a ruler in this earthly realm that he was ministering in. And yet it says he looked at him and he loved him. I just think there's got to be an underlying development of love. And I have a whole chapter on that, trying to develop our sense of how do I love those around me to where I can truly learn to rejoice in their victories and accomplishments the way I would in my own children. And that that's a challenge. But I just think most of us think, oh, we love. The passage that you quoted there in Romans, we, we see that next line, we should weep with those who weep. And we think, oh, that's the hard thing, right? Really to feel empathetic enough to weep with those who are hurting. I think it's a whole lot easier Right, to get a call from someone who's going through something hard and really have my heart break over their pain. It's harder for me to hear them have a victory that I don't have, that I'd like to have, and they have it. It's harder for me to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I think the challenge for us is to stop skimming over those passages that really get to the root problem of our envy and say, we've got to learn to do that well. Does my love not envy? Do I really love them enough to rejoice with those who rejoice? That That's a challenge, and that's what this book is really all about. Doesn't this all then come down to, you mentioned love, um, doesn't it all come down to identity? Because if, if I'm taking my, my cues from Ephesians, if I'm taking my identity as my position in Christ and I'm fully uh, his child and I have, I'm joint heir with Jesus and I have all that he has promised me, and I, I have all that already, and I, if my identity is there, I'm not going to be looking around at anybody and saying, you know, why did you get that promotion? I wanted that. Um, it, doesn't this come down to an identity problem? 
Yes. And then it gets back to our parenting issues. If we really can teach ourselves and our kids and all around us that our security and our significance really doesn't come from all of our accomplishments, right? Ultimately, it's about being who we are before God. And, and if I really have that sense that my security as a person is not, not really about my performance in my work, and it's not really about the sense that I'm significant because I can do this or that, right? And, and, and that becomes the, the joy that I have in a God who rejoices over me, who sees me in his son, that I have security because of the promised Holy Spirit, a, pred, a pledge and a seal for my coming redemption. I, I, can, I can have a sense where the performance and all the competitiveness starts to go to the background. And I can say it's really not about that. Who am I as a child of God? That's why this book, in a, in a big way, it can't be for non-Christians, right? I cannot ultimately help the non-Christian to develop the kinds of things that really come from a heart as you said, Chris, that are founded in in who I am as a child of God. And that's a big deal. It's not that we're trying to take away ambition in this book. And I know the critic's going to say that, like he doesn't want us to succeed. Of course, I want us to do good things. I want us to maximize our lives. But I talk about stewardship in the book as a principle that really needs to be understood more than just me trying to do enough to where I can say, God, am I really good enough here to feel like I'm okay? You know, we, we can't think that way. Of course, I want to do. I want to do what is good. I want to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. But that's not where my identity is. That's not where my security is. That's not what makes me significant. I'm significant because Christ died for me. And that's just, that's huge. That's gigantic. And we've got to get back to that. And if, if the publishers at Moody didn't uh, require <laughs> just a book of 124 pages, we, we could have gone, oh, way deep into that. But you've yeah. brought up a great point. That really is a great part of what needs to be developed in our thinking. Where does envy crop up in your life? I got a number of people who've responded on Facebook. I want to read some of those. But if you want to be totally transparent with us today and call the number and be anonymous if you'd like, that's okay. 877-548-3675. Where are you dealing with this envy? Is it at work? Is it at home? Is it at church? Is it a relational um, I'd love to hear from you today, 877-548-3675. If you go to the website, you'll see the book Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had. But I want to read what Judy said, because she was the very first person to respond to this. Judy said, seeing couples together after my husband has passed away. And I responded to her and I said, I'm so sorry for this huge loss, but I wonder if it's envy that you're feeling or is it just grief that you're dealing with? I'll ask Dr. Fabares to that uh, today about that. So there is a sense that, oh, I'm not, and, and other people are single. They've always wanted to be married. They haven't, you know, that's that hasn't happened to them. They haven't had children, uh, and they want that in their life. And, and so there's, an, there's part of them, the envy. But here's Judy, who's lost this, you know, forever friend that she's been walking the trail with, I think there's some just some grief issues that when she sees them, it kind of triggers in her heart. What do you think? Yeah, and, and we need to separate a few things in our hearts. There are things that are there that make us feel bad that we don't have something that we've had and that we want. And, and we can say, that would be nice, and, and I wish that I had. But, and that becomes our prayer list, right? We pray for those things. But we have to realize that there's a fine line that starts to, to, to get, I get, start to cross it when this becomes the, the, the hankering in my life, the desire that just, I cannot be happy without. 
without this. And, and really what I'm describing here is the first foundational step in envy, and that's coveting. So I can feel like, well, I didn't have this. I mean, my wife and I were infertile. We didn't have kids for the first 10 years of our marriage. We didn't even think we were going to have kids because God had just kept saying no, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with us praying every month, God, please, we, we want a child. We just feel like that's our calling. We want that. Nothing wrong with praying those prayers. It can't turn into the kind of, of desire that becomes that 10th commandment violation of saying, if I don't have this, I cannot be happy, right? I can't get to that place. Let I have to have what my neighbor has. And they've got a house full of kids and our house is quiet and we don't have kids. And we can't get to a place where we say, I can't be happy, God, right? Like in scripture, give me a child or I'm gonna die. If I get to that place, to start quote that, that line from the patriarchs, I, I can't be uh, to the place of saying, I am now uh, really content. I can want things and still have contentedness if I'm not a covetous person. Here's where it turns into envy though. We go beyond covetousness, which is bad in itself, but we get to the place of saying, I resent those who have it, right? I don't want to buy a present for another baby shower if I don't have a child and I don't like this gal. I don't know why God would give her a child and not me a child. And now I start to see all the negatives in her life, right? That's the bitterness that grows out of a coveting that has become a kind of give me a child or I die or give me a husband or I die or give me, you know, X, Y, or Z, a a degree or money for college or I die. If we get so desirous of it that it becomes something that I say, I can't, I can't be happy at all. God, I just can't find any happiness. Well, then we were coveting. And now if I say, I don't like that person because they have it. Now that's where all the damage comes. That's where gossip comes in. That's where criticism and backbiting and, and pulling people away from people that are my friends, from people that have what I don't want, trying to build these tribes and building walls. All of that comes out of envy. So we've got to start with prayer requests. I, that's fine. I pray for a lot of things all the time in my <laughs> life. And I say, God, give me these things. I'd like those. But I also should be able to say, hey, God's grace is sufficient, whether I have them or I don't. Right. And I need to learn. And there's one section of the book I talk about. We need to learn to ask God to, to help us to enjoy and want the things that we have, right? That, that's nothing wrong with that. God provides us things for our enjoyment, and we should enjoy those. Now, I don't have everything my neighbor has, but, but I should be able to say, God, these are the things you've given me, and in your providence, I have them. I want to enjoy them. If, it's, if I don't have kids, if I don't have a, a spouse, if I don't have a house, if whatever it is I don't have, can I still rejoice in you and your providence in, in denying this of my life, yes. at least right now, and, and just... Those are so important to distinguish. So, And it's more than just thinking about that, a mindset that, you okay, I've, I've identified that. There is more here, and that's what Mike's going to help us with today. Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had, is our featured resource. You'll find it at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead. Thanksgiving is more than one day a year, so here's some extra heap and helping of thanks from my heart. I am grateful for the dedicated people who were hard at work all last week and into the weekend and into the coming weeks as we wind down 2023, a gospel-infused group of people with a pro-abundant life message for men and women going through an unplanned pregnancy. Since 2008, this group has helped save the lives of more than a million people children. CareNet, it's a network of 1,200 pregnancy centers that serve more than 300,000 women and men every year 
free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests. Well, of course, it's not free. Somebody pays, right? Pregnancy decision coaching, options counseling, material support, parenting education, and a whole lot more. Now you know why I'm thankful. Maybe somebody you know needs to hear about CareNet. Click CareNet at chrisfabrylive.org. And when you go to their site, send an encouraging note or click a link for a free resource and tell them, hey, I heard this Fabry guy talking about you on, uh, on Chris Fabry Live on Moody Radio. Give them some encouragement today. There's a green button waiting for you that says CareNet at chrisfabrylive.org. Envy. A big problem you didn't know you had. Dr. Mike Fabares is with us today. Of course, you hear him on Focal Point on the radio program. And he sits in for Dr. Michael Rodelnik. You know, I could be envious of you for being sitting in for Dr. <laughs> Rodelnik. I've gotten to sit in for him just as the host and have somebody with me. They'd never ask me to sit there and answer the Bible questions because, well, you know, something bad would happen. But I'm, I'm not envious. I'm glad. And I think you're going to be doing that in the coming weeks, aren't you? Yeah, I've got another one coming up. Uh, I just did it a couple weeks back, but I sure enjoy it. And Michael is the best, obviously, but got to have a pinch hitter every now and then. That's right. And, uh, you know, I guess I'm it from time to time. Um, Envy, I have to read you this because there are so many that, uh, you know, it could be in the marriage. You know, when I see people with happy marriage, I've been in two not so good marriages. I see families all together on holidays and it, I don't have that. And so it springs this thing inside of me. Here's one I didn't anticipate. We have custody of our granddaughter. We are grateful to have her, but I do envy my friends who are enjoying freedom in their retirement. Talk about that, Mike. Yeah, and and I've just experienced this recently with a discussion I had just last night. I know that there is something that we miss out on every time God gives us an assignment. And he gives us an assignment and, and we just, we can't multitask everything we always want to do in any area of our lives when we have something else to do. And in this case, there's nothing more, I mean, noble than us stepping in to give good godly parenting uh, to a child. And yet in your empty nester years, you know, it's like, wait a minute, I'm not out the pickleball court every day. I can't travel. I can't do. Okay. I get that. Uh, But we have to recognize God's sovereignty in these matters that opens up doors of opportunity for us. And those opportunities are going to take our energy, our attention, our strength. And sometimes we feel like our back isn't strong like it used to be. This is going to be harder now than it was the first time. But as I talk about, even in this book, we need to not envy those that have a different lot than our own, but we need to say, how is it that I can take the lot that I have and leverage this in the most fruitful way of all? Because in the end, we are going to step into an eternal kingdom where we're going to have time to do all kinds of things for the rest of eternity. And God is going to allow us those things without any of the thorns and any of the weeds in the present fallen world. And so I want to say, listen, a lot of, as Tozer used to say, a lot of our present desire for happiness has to be postponed for a more appropriate time. And that's coming when we enter into our rest. But for now, I would say, if this is your assignment, let's stop looking laterally. I mean, in a sense, like horses, we got to put the blinders on and say, this is the challenge in front of me. God, let me enjoy it. Let me pour myself into this. And if you think about it, there's not 
a plenty of other people in this stage of life that say, well, I envision my retirement years to be this way or my empty nester years to be this way, and yet I've got debilitating arthritis or I've got some disease, my lung disease, and I can't even get out and I can't even walk up steps. And you think, okay, that desire for their lives has also been readjusted, right? They've, they've got that problem there of 2 Corinthians where Paul's saying, I got a thorn in the flesh, certainly a thorn in that case that doesn't even have the beauty of raising a child. It's just a thorn from Satan, right, to, to pester us. And yet we recognize in God's sovereignty, how can I see God's grace be sufficient, not only to, to, to survive, right, but Paul ultimately is making a prayer to thrive. And he does because he realizes how this particular thorn can be utilized for good and he can double down in what God has him do without, in that case, the temptation to be prideful because he's in too much pain to be prideful. And, and that becomes a blessing. Therefore, he says, I'm going to rejoice in my weakness. And I would say to that couple, rejoice in the fact that you're not able to do what all these other couples are doing because God has given you an assignment. And thankfully, it's not an assignment with terrible health. It's an assignment of raising a young life, directing that young life. You've got another whole season, a chapter of your life to do what we mm-hmm. did, I trust, the first time, to aim those arrows into the next generation, to teach them the way they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. That's a noble calling. Rejoice in that. So again, you go into this very well in the book and the steps that you do in your counterattack. But what you're saying is just observing the problem. Somebody who's listening right now and who's saying, you know what, I am, I feel that way about this situation at work or in my relationships. Just seeing the problem is not enough. And you cannot talk yourself out of envy. You can't say, well, uh, and you mentioned the sovereignty word there for, for a minute ago. You know, well, God is sovereign and he's done this and he's going to do something better. I wanted children, but there's something better that's going to happen here. And so you just kind of circularly try to talk yourself out of feeling envy. That's eventually not going to work. You're going to come up against this again. So why not just look it full in the face like the psalmist does in a lot of ways. I've got to feel like you're not there. And then he always comes back and says, but I know that you're there. And I know that, you you know, uh, talks, tells himself the truth about what's going on. Is there, what, what you know what I'm asking. You, you can't talk yourself out of this. Right. And we need supernatural help in all of these areas of our sanctification, right? God has to be at work in us, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. And I, 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 if this is not coupled with all the disciplines of, of spirituality that we know, right? Worship, thanksgiving, our prayer lives, Bible study, Bible memorization, we can't really tap into the source of all the things that will help us take hold of the solutions. Think about love, right? The Bible says non-Christians, they can't even love the way they're supposed to. The whole book of First John is reminding us of that, that real Christianity and the distinction is the ability to have this biblical love that God can impart and spread abroad in our hearts. And so I'm thinking just that, so much of the counterattack on envy is real love and real rejoicing. It really is a lot of the fruit of the Spirit. And that Spirit, right, is the Spirit that God has given Christians, and non-Christians are the ones just trying to talk themselves out of it. And sometimes they temporarily do. There's all kinds of, you know, steps and, you know, 
know, programs and things they go through to change behavior. But oftentimes they're just rearranging a lot of the things in the external parts of their lives, their habits, their, their, their patterns. But in reality, what we need is a heart change. And that heart change is going to help us really learn to do some of the things that sometimes the non-Christian world doesn't, they can't get it. They don't get the full connection of a reconciled life to our maker that says, listen, you're still stuck in a flesh that is going to fight you, but I can help you from the inside out, push through your life, a kind of love that, think about Jesus saying it, it was only quoted in the book of Acts, but it's more blessed, really blessed to give than to receive. Even that, you could receive the life to go back to our last uh, writer, the one who wrote the note in, you could you could receive a lot of things about those empty nest years and freedom in that, that retirement age, but, but to give, right, to give as you're doing with those kids, it, it's, it's more blessed in the end. How do we tap into that, right? If we're not really connecting to the God who gives us those things, you can't go days and days without time in the Word and the Bible and think you're going to be able to tap into the truth of us being connected to a God, so abiding with Him, as John 15 says, that I'm bearing the kind of fruit that we're talking about in this book. So yeah, that has to go. Every biblical solution for us as God's people, made in His image, has to come when our hearts are remade, as Ezekiel said, our heart of stone has to be turned into a heart of flesh, and the Spirit of God has to come and make my spirit new, and then motivate me, convict me, pull me, push me into this place where God is starting to bear that kind of fruit that just becomes so fulfilling from the inside out. Yeah. This is <laughs> this is so countercultural, and it's so freeing and so life-giving, and I just uh, I was noticing, remembering that today being Cyber Monday— and just about everyone has some kind of a sale. Moody Publishers has, I think, a 50% off sale that goes through today. So you can get Envy at half price. <laughs> it's a big problem. You can get it at half price. <laughs> Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had. But this touches on just about every area. And I wonder, I mentioned identity just a minute ago. But doesn't this go back to our trust in a good God, our trust in a sovereign God? If we really trust Him with our lives, will that erode some of the envy that we're experiencing? We have one final segment with Dr. Mike Fabares. Go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org to find out more. Dr. Mike Fabares is with us at the Radio Backyard Fence. He's written the book on Envy. You can find out more at chrisfavorylive.org. People don't write about these subjects unless they have a problem with it, and we all have a problem with it. Can we, can we be honest here today? You know, the Younger people, they look at other people's phones, and, and the sales that go on about this, you know, when, some, when a new phone comes out, the latest, and you don't have the exact camera that your friend has, I mean, the, the culture really feeds on this, and that maybe that's not envy as much as it is some, some other part, you know, coveting, but there is this sense that if I don't have what they have, then I'm lesser than, and I want that. Right, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. And you can look at a lot of 
the societal breakdown that we have that is based on envy. It goes beyond coveting. People do covet all the gadgets and gizmos, but when it comes down to it, when we start despising those who get to have what we can't have, we don't have, we can't afford, and there's this demand that we have. We want this flat-lined kind of everyone has the same thing, and that's not the way God set up the world. You just look at people of the things that God directly dispenses, brains and bronze and beauty, and we're not the same. Everyone gets a different dispensing of God's gifts. And God says, listen, what do you have that you have not received, right? Everything you get, you've received from me ultimately, and some of the things are indisputable, right? Our our ability to think, our ability to to, to do athletic things, how we look, the beauty that we have, whatever that is, we have to say, okay, there is something about a God who expects us to recognize that these gifts are given out differently. They cannot erode the kinds of societal harmony that we should have. And I can say society, even down into our small groups at church and all the way up to, you know, the Marxist, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. ideology in nations around the world. We cannot be angry at one another when God dispenses his blessings in different amounts to different people or different groups of people. And I'm not saying we shouldn't always try to do what we can. I'm just like Onesimus and Philemon, right? We, we certainly want people to get their freedom, let's say, if they're at the bottom rung of societal issues, right? A societal caste, if you will. But, you know, here's the thing. The reality of us saying God is a God who opens up doors, like he says in 1 Corinthians 7, maybe that I'm single and I want to be married, maybe it opens up doors. That's great. And you should always try to do what you can to glorify God in whatever open doors of opportunity you have, but you cannot resent those who have more and have different things than you do. And that really does get down all the way to the advertising that we have and are bombarded with every single day. You're right. Here's one. I've been working at the same place for 35 years. New hires are making more than me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So take that. And then, so there's a work and there's, there is a, <laughs> I thought of and you use the analogy, you use the, 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 the parable that Jesus tells about the workers who were hired early in the morning. And then, you know, they thought they deserved more. We could talk about that, but take it to the relational, take it into the family. I'm a caregiver. I don't have a lot of freedom. When I hear my sisters are traveling and doing their own thing without a care, I get envious. Mm. I pray about it. The old envy monster comes up now and again. The worst part of it is that uh, these folks don't think twice about me being in this situation or understand the demands of caring for uh, a parent. So there's there's where you can see a little bit of reading between the lines of the anger, of the resentment that can creep in, that it sounds like this person doesn't want to be there, but doesn't know how not to be resentful. Right. Well, let's go back to the first one. If you see a man who's not making what the new hires make, is one of the first letters I got from someone reading the book is like, am I not supposed to go and ask for a raise? And I said, of course. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with us saying, hey, I would like to be paid more. And just like in that story that Jesus tells, be nothing wrong with that. And, and matter of fact, that's what they said. And Jesus says through the voice of the parable, the landowner there, uh, no, you, you've got what I've given you and it's fair and go your way. And so I recognize that sometimes that, that people think about envy, they think, well, that means I'm a doormat. I don't ask for anything. No, go, fine. Ask for your raise. But if it's a no, you have to understand that God is in the no. Even if it's your boss who's a non-Christian and the 
industries, you know, has nothing to do with Christianity. God is sovereignly in that no. And then you have to be able to say, okay, God is able to do with the money of that company, whatever he wants to do. And, and, and God can be generous to you in other ways. And if he chooses not to be, right, then then we have to say, this is, this is my lot. And that sounds so anti-American. It sounds so anti-ambitious. And, and God knows, and anyone who knows me knows, there's nothing wrong with godly ambition. But it's the selfish ambition of saying, that guy shouldn't be making more than me. And, and, and I, I'm, I've been here longer. At some point, you cannot let that kind of, of comparison lead to a bitterness in your heart. And I know that there's always going to be a temptation to be frustrated, to be, you know, gossiping and tearing down and slandering people that have what I really want. But that really, if you look in the vice lists throughout the New Testament where Paul or Peter are listing these things that just really mess up the Christian life, they mess up churches, they mess up relationships, they mess up offices and neighborhoods, right? The Bible says we've got to get rid of these. You have to declare war on those. You have to say, these are the things that are wrong. Christians should not be this way. And therefore, we need help. And I'm saying, look beyond the symptoms and look to some of the problems. And the reason church history has always talked about the seven deadly sins or the capital sins, right, is because they knew there are root sins that really branch out into hundreds of other sins. And envy has always been listed as church scholars have thought about this and pondered this and taught on this. They've said, you got to get down to this, right? One of the root sins of the Christian life and of all people is envy. And so we need to identify that, see how we can remedy that. And in this book, that's all we're trying to do is to give just a little bit of time to thinking, can I root this out? Are there things that can keep me from being bitter and angry at people that have more than I do? What can I do to find God's remedy in this? And so that's what this book is all about. And I hope it's helpful to people. And I know, you know, you look at a book like this, you think it's a book about sin. I'd rather read a book about, I don't know, you know, how to be rich and famous and peaceful and all that. Well, in a sense, we're trying to say you can be rich, as Paul said, in all of your circumstances. The great riches is not, as 1 Timothy 6 says, you having a big bank account. It's you being content. There's great gain in contentment. And really, that could be the antithetical title to this, right? Envy is the opposite of contentment. So this book, as you look at it, you say, envy, I don't want to find that in my life. Well, if you find that, you might find the real prize, which is contentment. Yes. Has, have you seen in the last minute or so, have you seen God do this work in a process, as a process in your own life, in your own heart? Are you less envious today than you were 10 years ago? Yeah, it is a process. And, and when you see it and you start to see it creep up and you recognize, why do I not like that person? Why do I not like that church in my case? Why do I not like that pastor, right? Is it because I know everything about my theology is right and, and some of the things I can find in there is are It's really not that. So I, I have to keep seeing it pop up and then turn it around in my head. Part of it for me too, and I didn't have the room in this book to write about this at length, but we need to see ourselves as objects of God's grace. Really, if I had everything I deserved, it wouldn't be, you know, bigger ministries and, and better things. It would be it would be the outer darkness where there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. My life is is God's grace. It's his mercy. And I think we need to really get back to the reality that everything we have is just really based on the grace of God because we're sinners. We don't deserve his gifts, but he gives them so generously. And if it's not as much as our neighbor, that's okay. Rejoice yeah. in what you have. 
contentment, contentment. That is uh, antithetical in a lot of ways to the time in which we live. But that's why I said at the beginning of the program that there is real freedom here. And we prayed for you. If you're driving down the road today and you said, this is exactly where I'm living. If you're begrudging somebody else some victory that they're rejoicing over today, uh, our prayer was that there be real freedom in your life. And the book is a, a great resource We have it linked at chrisfabrylive.org. Click through today's information, and you'll see it there. Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had. Dr. Mike Fabares, what a pleasure. Thanks for being with us, and come back again, okay? Of course, Chris. Great to be here. Go to chrisfabrylive.org. Again, you'll see our featured resource today. And thanks for your support. Thanks for coming alongside us here. Come back tomorrow. I got a friend I want you to hear from, Dr. Ed Shaw. I used him in a way in the uh, the book that I mentioned a little earlier, Saving Grayson, because he has written about Alzheimer's caregivers. He has been an Alzheimer's caregiver himself or his wife. I want you to hear more of his story. We'll talk about that tomorrow right here on Chris Fabry Live, production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.